Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of History Creeps. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris Chavez, and I am joined once again this week by my two co-hosts in Creeps, Johnny Townsend and Carter Johnson. What's up, fellas? Howdy, howdy. Usually I just get called the creep and and people leave out the co-host part. And then you walk away. And then I just walk away and I'm not allowed back in that state again. (laughs) For whatever reason. Except the Jonas Brothers are playing. Maybe I like to dance naked, but that's me. (laughs) Who's judging you? Who's judging you? Let me do me. Yeah. Yeah. Let me be myself. (laughs) How are you guys doing? Fly freely. We're good, man. How are you? How are you guys doing? That's that's my question. Uh doing. Doing. Um I wish I could say better, but you know, sometimes life gives you those things and you just got to deal with them. So, uh, but I'm you, doing, you're not how about still you guys? Sick, are you? No, 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 not, not that. Just dealing with a bunch of garbage and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, rather not Gar- bring down the, uh, the mood here. So we're going to pretend like my life's not happening. How about you guys? <laughs> we're going to pretend like my life's not happening. <laughs> well, if your no, life's not happening, my life's not happening. That I'm sounds not, so yeah, horrible. Yeah, I'm not having your life happen with mine happening. <laughs> that sounds so horrible. Yeah, it's not as I, bad. I or... can't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so hard. I know what you mean. Like, I, can't come, I can't really complain about that. You know? <laughs> no, I know yeah. what you mean. I know it, what you mean. It's not as bad uh, as I'm trying to make it sound. But yeah, it's it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, yeah, this week's this week, right? Yeah, sometimes life will give you a week of lemons, and that's what happens. <laughs> and yeah. there's no sugar to make lemonade, so you just kind of sit with right. those lemons. So you just take the lemons right in the eyeballs. <laughs> you, you, or you, you throw s- them back at those bastards that gave <laughs> you the lemons in the first place. There you go. Lemon bombs. <laughs> there you go. I like it. How about you guys? What's going on with you guys, man? Well, uh, I've had a, I've had a, a uh, how can I describe this week? A Full week. of ups and downs. A there week. we go. We'll it's go a week that. of lemons. Yes, there there was some. There was a, a particularly large lemon that was applied to my week, but then, um, you know, other than that, though, yeah, we're all a bunch of downers today. <laughs> <laughs> I met Bruce Campbell last weekend. So. Well, that's pretty yeah, sweet. Hear, see, that's awesome. <laughs> so, where were you? I saw you were posting these pictures. Where were you at, Carter? Where was that? Uh, the convention was here in town. They do it every year, and it was out at one of the hotels in the university area, which is literally across town for us. Yeah. Um. So we go out there and pretty much spend the whole day. What's the and name of this it? Is, do what? What's the name of it? It's called Mad Monster Party. Oh, I already like the name of it. Got to be there next year. History Creeps needs a table there next year. Dude, it, you can. It's it's very easy to do that and it's fun. And there's a lot, you guys miss the iron Sheik and oh. Sergeant slaughter oh. sitting right next to each other. Sergeant slaughter looked like he was going to try to hawk me some GI Joe's. I'm not even <laughs> kidding you. Okay. I'm not even kidding. And here's the, here's the worst part for me. This is the worst part. Okay. They put, they put Kane hotter next to Daniel Harris. Cause they're both in the hatchet movies. Yeah. He's, he's Jason and she's Michael Myers niece in other, you know, horror franchises. Then they have Bruce Campbell's table, like right there when he does his signings, because he was doing photo ops and stuff all weekend too. And then right across the aisle was my friggin' crack dealer. The the well, vinegar syndrome table that has all beep, the you know beep, beep that out. Blu-rays and stuff. Dude Chris, Chris beep that part out. <laughs> <laughs> we can't have him incriminating himself on this show. <laughs> Dude, these guys, like I swear they get like 100, 200 bucks out of me every convention because they just have – I bought Cutting Class on Blu-ray, which is the the Brad Pitt horror movie. 
Is this where you bought your uh, real Ghostbusters figures? No, it is not. Oh, okay. Uh, this was a different guy, and I ended up buying a bunch of crap from him too because he had like an Alien Three figure. He had a Pennywise. Yeah. Like, oh god, dude! And I spent like two hundred dollars on toys, <laughs> and they weren't for your daughter. <laughs> no, they weren't for my daughter, and she kept picking them up, and I was like, no, 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 let's not touch that. That's Daddy's. Like, <laughs> oh. It was. Dude. She's picking up toys where the heads are decapitated and rolling off, and he's like, "No, no, no, she, not for she you." She started digging. You know when you go to the toy vendors and they always had those baskets of like loose toys, yeah, that are like a yeah. dollar or two, you know? Yeah. She started digging around in there and and found and recognized some real Ghostbusters toys. Nice. That's just, that's just good parenting. Tried to eat it, and then <laughs> yeah. shook it at me like, "Daddy, daddy." Real Ghostbusters. I was like, I gave you one of these and you took it apart already, so we're not going to get you a new one right now, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know how it works. But at least she recognized it, and she was like, Egon, Egon, Egon. That's... That's just that's just been a great dad. You ask me. Uh, You and your wife have done a great job raising her so far. It's... Yeah, it was... It was it was a lot of fun. What did you... uh, Just So you said you got a chance to meet uh, Bruce Campbell, or you just saw him? I got it. We stood in his line um, (laughs) because my father was coming that day. Okay. And uh, me and my dad used to watch Briscoe County Jr. together. Oh, man. I remember that show. That was awesome. And I was the one that, you know, had to convince my dad to rent me all the Evil Dead movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we went backwards and we started with Army of Darkness. So once he saw that one, okay, yeah. He was like, okay, we're good. I'll get you the rest of these. No problem. I don't care. This is funny stuff. And so we stood in his line. His manager kept going up and down the line. He saw that we had Leo with us in a stroller. And he was like, you guys got a stroller? And we were like, yeah. He's like, all right, come with me. He literally moved us to the front of the line. Nice. And we're over there going, what the what the shit? Like, we're 60 people back. And you're like, move, like what the hell's going on? <laughs> I'm like looking at people wanting to be like, I don't know what's going on. Don't get mad. I don't know what's going on. I, I didn't do anything. So we get up there. I'm holding Leia. He looks at Leia and he's like, hey, kid. Just <laughs> like Bruce Campbell would do. Hey, kid. Uh, and I got to tell him that me and my dad watched Briscoe County Jr. together. I got him to sign something for my dad uh, from Briscoe County Jr. Nice. Um, So my dad didn't get to meet him, but we did. And then my dad got there and I'd been waiting all weekend to go over to Mitch Pelegi's table. The guy that plays Skinner on the X files. Yeah. This is the one I geeked over the picture. Yeah, I, I, I had been waiting all weekend to go over there until my dad got there because I, that was something that me and my dad used to do together was watch the X files all the time. Whenever it was his weekend, we would be watching the X files and eating uh, Bigfoot pizza on Friday nights. That's a great combination. And, and yeah, it was awesome. And so we finally got to go over there and my dad was with me and like we got some pictures and like it was just so awesome. Like I had my daughter with me and my dad was with me and like it was just oh, it was so great. That nice. was like one of the best parts. Nice. Was, he, was 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 he cool? Like the, Oh yeah. Oh, he was yeah. super cool. Man. He was super. Well, because he's, you know, he's signing people's shocker blu-rays and he's signing shocker photo you know he's 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 in like a cult horror movie he knows you know yeah all right 
I mean, he's he's in. I mean, X Files and Supernatural. He's in both those shows. Yeah. So. Well, what's what always is great is that they're always so great with kids. Yeah. Like they, you know, they're these scary. They play these scary, te- you know, terrifying monsters and and all this stuff, and they're all great with. Ki- I didn't get to meet Doug Jones, but my buddy Alex did, and uh, he said that Doug Jones was just so great with his daughter. And Alex was like, he gave me a kiss on the head and told me to keep being a great dad. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's amazing. Is, uh, is this know, right? is this monster show every year? Is that a yearly thing? Yes. Yes. Same time of year, so in March. Uh, usually the last little bit of February, they kind of shift the weekend depending. Hmm. We're gonna have to come down and get a table next year for real. Let's get a history creeps table for the podcast. Well, we got another one in September, Days of the Dead. Is that a good one? Uh, yeah, and they just started doing it. They have a film festival and uh, all kinds of cool stuff like that. Sweet, look into that too. Yeah, the, the fun part of those will be uh, me. If I ever get around people who are in these movies that you guys love, and I won't know who they are, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you'll yeah. be the only oh, one, know, dude. Right? You... That's gonna be. We're gonna have to like guide you. Yeah, I think like, you'll be the it. only person in that entire room who'll not know who any <laughs> like two thirds of the guests are. Yeah, I'll know the ones from like X Files and such, but after that, I'm probably out. <laughs> my buddy, my buddy used to live in Wilmington. You're gonna love this story, Johnny. My buddy used to live in Wilmington, and it turned out he lived in the same apartment building as the Dawson's Creek cast. Oh man, when they were shooting the show. <laughs> yeah, and he he was hammered one night, and he came down the stairs, and they were all partying out by the pool, and they they were like, "Yeah, come hang out with us, come party with us," and they introduced themselves, and he's like. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't have a TV. I have no idea who any of you are. <laughs> cool, we're gonna party. <laughs> they probably like that more, to be honest. Yeah, I no know, kidding. Right? They're yeah. just like, thank God, this guy's not gonna be bothering us for autographs and pictures. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, and when he tells his friends later, they're not gonna believe him. No, right? exactly, exactly. <laughs> He's got all these old Polaroids of him hanging out with Pacey and Dawson by the pool. I don't know though. You know what? The fact that he doesn't watch the show, like as his friend, I find that more credible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too true. funny, dude. Oh man. Well, we're back guys. Another week of history creeps. Uh, I think this, Hopefully we were, a good week. Yeah, Let's make yeah. it a good week. We were talking about last, last time we had history creeps. Uh, it was your turn, Carter. You brought the disappearance of that Chinese army. And we said we were going to try to keep a theme for the, for this next month. Uh, at least for the the next few, because I think I'm not sure what you said you wanted to do next, Johnny. Were you want to do Ted Bundy or? No, I was gonna. If we're doing disappearances, I probably shouldn't do Ted Bundy, <laughs> but I didn't want to. I didn't want to cover him at some point just Sweet. because of the new documentary and it's like the anniversary of the. Okay. Of, uh, so we are doing his, a full uh, on. Yeah, we're doing a full on theme, all three of us. Then, so I'm bringing another disappearance to the table. One one that we touched on slightly. It was just a, a quick reference in uh, a previous episode way back in the past when we did disappearances. Uh, but today, the one I'll be talking about, we're going to go a little in depth. But before we do, we have a current creeps that uh, Carter, you said you saw this. It's kind of like a current creep updated revisit creep information. Stuff. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of a current creep update. Yeah, um, what do I we was got? watching the news the other morning and uh, because like my eyes don't generally open until about eight o'clock or so. Um, when I'm watching the news at six thirty, sometimes things don't register until later in the day. <laughs> And so I saw this story on the news before my first cup of coffee. And later on, I was like, oh, okay. So I went back and and looked it back up. Apparently, uh, researchers think they might have found the wreckage of Amelia Earhart's plane. Speaking of disappearances. 
Uh, I'm just going to read the article because it's not super long. Uh, a wreck site in Papua New Guinea could be the key to answering the mystery that surrounds the disappearance of aviator Amelia Earhart. Researchers think there is a decent chance that a newly discovered site could contain the wreckage of Earhart's plane, a Lockheed Electra 10E. The aviation pioneer famously disappeared alongside her navigator, Fred Noonan, while attempting to fly around the world. During a leg of this journey between Papua New Guinea and Howland Island, a remote uninhabited island in the central Pacific, she was lost and never seen again. However, the new discovery off the coast of New Guinea's Buka Island could provide the answer to the decades-old mystery. Uh, they think that because this island was on a uh, direct line for the flight path that they were on, uh, it was not an area that was searched following the disappearance. Huh. So everything these guys these guys say everything that they found so far in the wreckage site is consistent with the plane that she flew but they're not fully done with their investigation uh so far this will be interesting though to see what they do find to see if uh because this was what has been one of those mysteries that for the longest time people were always like no one knew where she went nothing was ever found her body there was always these little clues that may have come up i think last year we or maybe the year before there was that picture remember they found a picture where they saw her sitting uh, at the end of a dock and it was purported to be the very last photo of her alive um, yeah. there was all these little things that keep coming up i think there was something else where they found uh, skeletal remains and some other like little artifacts on a on a island in the pacific or something remember yeah um, yeah i remember that so yeah it'll be super interesting to see what they what what they get out of this it uh i would hope that 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 it is you know what i mean uh, to finally put a close to uh something that for sure has not had a 100 percent answer yet well you know we're kind of living in an age where they solve mysteries like this you would think you right know? but what happened to the malaysian air, air airliner well no, i'm just saying like uh my parents didn't know who Deep Throat was for what fifty years. Now we know. Hmm. So some mysteries do end yeah. up getting solved, and maybe this will end up being one of them because we all want to know what happened. This would be this would be if they find yeah, the answers. This, this would be absolutely historic. No, for yeah, sure. Yeah, this is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't th- I know I didn't I didn't think it would ever be solved because I mean the yeah. ocean. I know this might sound weird, but the ocean's huge, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big ocean out there, and and just think about how much time has passed now. So the the salt, all these different things that'll just affect whatever you know, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever wreckage or whatever th- you know, things that are left behind, any clues that are left behind are, are just getting more and more damaged with time. Yeah, but we're also in a in an era because we have better equipment and stuff now where they are finding more things that have maybe been buried at sea. Like they're finding ships that they didn't think they'd ever find. You know, I mean, we, you know, we, what, how long ago was it when they found a Titanic? That was like over a decade ago now, right? That was in the eighties, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. See, it was a long time ago. And, uh, I mean, they've, I think they just recently found, I don't remember the ship, but I think they found one recently that they didn't think they'd ever find. So it's not, it's not that I didn't think it I didn't think it could never 100% never happen that we would find her plane, but I honestly felt it was, it was like a 99% chance we would never know. Yeah. So this would be huge. I would, I hope so. This would be wild. It would be. And it, like I said, it, it would answer one of those, 
for for longest time, it's just been one of these mysteries that has has haunted historians and haunted uh, aviation. You know what happened to Amelia Earhart? How could somebody just disappear off the face of the earth? Uh, like somebody I, that famous. Yeah, yeah, she was. It was huge. It was, she was a superstar at the time. Um, yeah, we 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 did a an episode about her. Uh, but yeah, for just to somebody just to kind of disappear like that. And like I said, we covered this past. Um, past episodes, huge disappearances. We talked about Roanoke and how an entire colony could disappear. Uh, do you remember when we talked about there was a an island uh, off the coast of Mexico that's literally documented with photographs from the seventies, and then the next day it's just not there at all? Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's not the only island that does that. There's a couple that are that are apparently quote unquote there, and then they're not there anymore. Exactly. Um, so. Again, like I said, I wanted to talk today about one of these famous disappearances, mysteries uh, in history, and uh, we're going to go back in time. You guys ready to go back in time? Let's hop in the machine. Uh, Detach your brains and let's go. Here we go. Uh, (laughs) We're going back to the 1860s. As a matter of fact, 1861, May and June of 1861. So do you guys know what's going on in U.S. history in 1861? It's the beginning of the Civil War. Sure is. Uh, a few months earlier, in April, is, is I guess they, is the official start of the Civil War. Docu- uh, historians consider that when it started. Uh, and then the months following, you'd start having states that were seceding from the Union and ones that were deciding not to. Um, so you're talking about this is that time era, okay? 1861. Um there's not really, you know, we're not talking about Titanic or the cruise liners. The ships that they have during these times um, are the, you know, the the big ships that you think of when you think of like pirates on the high seas. Uh, what what kind of sh- what are those called? Like, um, I don't even know what those are. schooners, galleons, whatever you want to call those merchant Giant ships. Boats, yes, yeah. mer- merchant ships with the big, you know, the the masts and the and and the the sails and all this stuff. Uh, so eighteen. This is also this is just to help you out. This yeah. is also an era in which uh, I believe we already have submarines now too, because there's a couple submarines in the Civil War. So oh yeah, super crude yeah. versions of submarines, not like what we think of today. No, uh, no, of course not. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they did. They did have submarines, which was I remember when I was a kid and I found that out. They had it way back then. I was like, really? How is that possible? Um. 1861, Nova Scotia, we're talking about up in Canada. There is a ship that is being built. Uh, as soon as it's done, it is launched on May 18th, 1861, and it is given the name Amazon. Um, and it's it's basically a, a, a large merchant ship. She's owned by a local consortium of nine people, um, and one of them, one of the co-owners, is the, the first captain. His name is Robert McClellan. So for her maiden voyage in June of 1861, Amazon sailed to the Five Islands, which is right there in Nova Scotia, to take on a cargo of timber uh, to go across the Atlantic to, to London. During the time Captain McClellan is supervising the ship's loading, uh, you know, overnight, you know, he starts to feel ill and isn't doing too well. His condition worsens, and before the Amazon can head out to London, they return uh, to Spencer's Island, where the, it originated uh, before it set out to, to load the timber. Uh, went back to Spencer's Island, and McClellan died uh, a couple days later on June 19th. So immediately, we have this ship who has a, 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 a captain who, within a few days of it, you know, basically being put to work, uh, he fall ill. He falls ill and dies, and this isn't going to be the only weird and bad thing that happens with this ship. 
it's cursed burn it <laughs> that's your first thought right like right, immediately literally like, yeah. it's like wait this is not good that the first captain no. dies within a couple of days ju- and, and not even in an accident not even you know out at sea literally just overseeing the temp you know the timber being loaded and he's just not feeling well gets sick dies a couple days later <clears throat> so john nutting parker took over as captain and resumed the voyage to london uh, in the course of which Amazon enco- uh, Amazon encountered further misadventures. So here you go again. Oh, Captain dies. They try to. They say, you know, onward, press onward, going to London. She collides with fishing equipment in the Narrows off of Eastport, Maine. She can't even get out of the country before and into the ocean before she ends up colliding with uh, fishing equipment. Um, after that, you know, she makes the trek across the ocean to London. Not much happens, it, it, you know. Unloads all her, the, all all the uh, the timber, and and is getting ready to head back. And on her way back out of London, she runs into and sinks a bridge in the English Channel. Uh, a, a brig, sorry, not a bridge, a brig. So another ship. She basically runs into another ship and does so much damage that that ship sinks. Um. <clears throat> There's not too much that happens with the Amazon in the next couple of years. Parker remains in command during this time. Uh, she crosses the Atlantic to France in eight, November of 1861. Uh, and she's actually, in while in Marseille, she becomes a subject of a painting. Uh, there's a, a, a painting out there, that a very famous painting of, of this ship. And it was during this time while she was out there in the ports uh in 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 france that this this painting was done 1863 a new captain takes over his name's william thompson takes command and then uh he stays in command until 1867 during this entire time 1863 to 1867 there's actual writings about this ship and the people who who have been on it different different uh what do you call them uh shipmates um, but they say it's very quiet. This ship ended up going to the West Indies. It traveled to England and the Mediterranean. Nothing unusual happened during this time until October of 1867. In October of 1867, at Cape Breton Island, Amazon was driven ashore in a storm and was so badly damaged that her owners abandoned her as a wreck. So as it's trying to, you know, as, as it's making its voyage, it ends up going out ashore and, and bashing to pieces. Um, it's still, it's still, a, you know, it's not like it's, it's smattered across the beach. It's, you can tell it's a ship, but it, it you can't sail it. It's, it's messed up. So the owners are like, screw this. Uh, we're, it, they basically did the, um, the old school thing where you were trying to just get insurance money for your car. So you kind of leave it parked under a bridge with the windows down and, uh, 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 the keys in it. You know what I mean? They just yeah. left it there and said, eh, it's not ours. Um, but back in those days, if you came across something like that, you could claim it. You could say, you know what? I'm taking this. It's a, it's a, it's a wreck. People left it behind. On October 15th, she was acquired as a derelict by Alexander McBean of Glace Bay, Nova Scotia. Within a month, uh, McBean sold the wreck to a local businessman who in November 1868 sold it to Richard W. Haynes, an American mariner from New York. He paid $1,750 for this wreck and spent $8,825 restoring it. He made himself her captain and in December 1868 registered her with the collector of customs in New York as an American vessel under a new name, Mary Celeste. 
So in October of 1869, the ship was seized by the creditors and sold to uh, another consortium headed by a guy by the name of James H. Winchester. During the next three years, the uh, basically the, the amount of people in this consortium of ownership would change, except Winchester would always retain at least half of the share throughout this time. He's, a, he's just a guy who ends up being a part of the picture, having an, an ownership in Mary Celeste. Uh, during this time, there's not really much... Uh, record of her doing any kind of trade activities or any kind of sailing. Uh, she does go undergo a huge major refit. In 1872, they spend upwards of $10,000 to enlarge her and so that they could you know, use her for, for more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, trade, you know what I mean? But you, can, you can basically load more. Uh, on April- that's, already a, that's already a lot of money in today's money spent on this thing. <laughs> Yeah, you're not kidding. This was a thing yeah, that like, yeah. just re- let's remember the the kind of history that comes with this ship. Uh, if it was me, dude, I'd be like, this thing is kind of bad luck. Uh, I don't know that I'd want to put that much money into it. But yeah, that's the thing I don't understand because back then, especially, they were way. I feel like they were. They were way more superstitious than we yeah, are now. Exactly. I wouldn't want to touch it. No thanks. October 29th, eighteen seventy-two. Uh, there is a, a part of this consortium is one of these co. You know these guys that holds a share in 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 the the uh, the interests of this ship. His name's Benjamin Spooner Briggs. He becomes the new ship captain. Uh, during this time, he's living in in Novus or in um. I'm sorry. Where was it? Yeah, he's living up. He's. I'm sorry. During this time, he's living in New York. He's got a wife. Uh, they just had a baby, and they uh, the ship's a, is about to be hired. They want to take her out to Genoa, Italy. To, to to there's a whole bunch of alcohol that they want to bring from America out to Genoa, Italy. So Briggs decide he's going to choose his own crew, and he ends up choosing a whole bunch of different people that are connected to this Winchester guy. People that win this Winchester guy vouches for as being very good seamen. Um, along with. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so first mate Albert G. Richardson was married to the niece of Winchester, and he had sailed under Briggs before. The second mate was uh, a Danish uh, in origin, but though he was born in New York, uh, the steward was newly married and was signed on with a personal recommendation from Winchester. Uh, the four generals seamen were all Germans from the Friesen Islands. So these are all very strong, uh, strong men, men who had had experience yeah. on the seas. They knew what they were doing. Basically, he he felt extremely sure that this this trip from America to Italy was going to be, you know, uh, no problem, basically. Nothing's going to happen, right? Yeah. So just a bunch of semen all over that ship. Basically. Yeah. On, yeah. on October 20th, 1872, <laughs> Briggs arrives at Pier 50 on the East River in New York City to supervise the loading of the ship's cargo. Basically, they're filling it up with 1,701 barrels of poisonous denatured alcohol. Uh, a week later, Briggs is joined by his wife and baby daughter. On Sunday, November 3rd, he writes to his mother telling her that he intends to leave on Tuesday, adding, quote, our vessel is in beautiful trim and I hope we shall have a fine passage. Um, so basically, he they, they get ready to set sail November 5th. They're getting ready to go out, but the weather's kind of uncertain. So he anchors the ship off of Staten Island. And it's during this time that his wife decides to write uh, one final letter real quick out to the mother-in-law. Um, you know, she basically says, you know, take, you know, tell people that we love them and we're going to have a good trip. And I can't wait to hear from you guys when we get back. Um, on November 7th, when the weather eased, Mary Celeste left the harbor and went out into the Atlantic. 
during the time she was preparing to sail, there was another ship uh, that was in nearby Hoboken, New Jersey. It was called uh, Digratia. Uh, it was awaiting cargo of petroleum, which was destined for Genoa as well. So these two were going to be on the same route. However, the Mary Celeste was leaving a few days ahead of time. Um, uh, there was stories, too, that the two captains of these ships were really good friends. And even uh, after you know all these events went down, people said that they had actually seen these two captains having breakfast or, or, or lunch you know, the day before the, the, uh, the, the Mary Celeste took off. So when the uh, De Gracia ends up taking off a few days later, um, it ends up getting out to, you guys know where, like, you know the Azores, what those islands are? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, the Azores <laughs> is a grouping of islands out in the Atlantic, but it's it's much closer to Europe. It's part It's considered part of Portugal. Um, so it, as, as the De Gracia starts to get closer to the Azores, it's about 1 p.m. on Wednesday, December 4th. Uh, as Captain Morehouse, he was the captain of DeGracia, comes on the deck and the helmsman reports seeing a vessel six miles in the distance. Um, they notice that the ship's erratic movements and the odd set of her sails, uh, they notice these things and it makes this captain think that there's definitely something wrong. So as his ship gets closer, they notice, you know, the name of the ship is the Mary Celeste. They see which ship it is. Um it says it says that they found that the ship was deserted. The sails, partly set, were in a poor condition, some missing altogether, and much of the rigging was damaged, with ropes hanging loosely over the sides. The main hatch cover was secure, but the fore and lazarette hatches were open, their covers beside them on the deck. The ship's single lifeboat, a small yawl, uh, had apparently been stowed across the main hatch was missing while the binnacle housing the ship uh, the binnacle housing the ship's compass had shifted from its place and its glass cover broken there was about 3.5 feet of water in the hold a significant but not alarming amount for the ship this size a makeshift sounding rod which is a device for measuring the amount of water in the hold was found abandoned on the deck the last entry on the ship's daily log found in the mate's cabin was dated at 8 a.m. on November 25th, nine days earlier. It recorded the Mary Celeste's position, uh, which was just off Santa Maria Island in the Azores, about 400 nautical miles uh, from where the DeGracia had found them. So basically from the nine days earlier, this thing had floated about 400 nautical miles from where it was found. Um, they said they saw that the cabin interiors were wet and untidy from the water that had entered through the doorways and skylights, but were otherwise, otherwise in reasonable order. In Briggs's cabin, they found personal items scattered about, including a sheathed sword under the bed. But most of the ship's papers were missing, together with the captain's navigational instruments. Galley equipment was neatly stowed away. There was no food prepared or under preparation, but there were ample provisions in the stores. There were no obvious signs of fire or violence. The evidence indicated an orderly departure from the ship by means of the missing lifeboat. So the investigator who had come onto the ship for Captain Morehouse returns and tells Morehouse everything he sees. Uh, and they decide that they're going to bring the derelict ship to Gibraltar, which is 600 miles away. Uh, under maritime law, uh, a person who's salvaging a ship can expect a substantial share of the combined value of a rescued vessel and cargo, and the exact award is depending on the degree of danger that is inherent on salvaging the ship. So uh, 
Morehouse just divides his crew and sends some of them onto the Mary Celeste so that they can sail the, the ship back with him. Uh, and it takes a few. It takes a little longer than normal because the, each ship is is undermanned. Uh, it, they, it's a slow go, but they finally ended up getting to Gibraltar on December twelfth, eighteen seventy two. During this time, there's like these huge hearings because it's like, what happened? What happened to this ship? Um, also, whenever you're you're trying you you salvage a ship and you're trying to get some money from it, there's going to be a lot of kind of you know legal proceedings that have to go through for you to get the kind of money that you're looking for uh, for doing that kind of work. Uh, it says anyway, they uh, on December 23rd, there's an, an examination that's ordered of the Mary Celeste, which is carried out by John Austin. He's a surveyor of shipping. Um, and he had the assistance of a diver, Ricardo Portonado. They noted that there were cuts on each side of the bow, caused, he thought, by sharp instruments, and found possible traces of blood on the captain's sword. His report emphasized that the ship did not appear to have been struck by heavy weather, citing a vial of sewing machine oil found upright in its place. Austin did not acknowledge that the vial might have been replaced since the abandonment, nor did the court raise this point. Uh, Portunato's report on the hull concluded that the ship had not been involved in a collision or run aground. A further inspection by a group of Royal Naval captains endorsed their opinions that the cuts on the bow had been caused deliberately. They also discovered stains on one of the ship's rails that might have been blood, together with deep marks uh, possibly caused by an axe. These findings strengthened the suspicions that human wrongdoing rather than natural disaster lay behind the mystery. On January 22nd, 1873, he sent the reports of the Board uh, of Trade in London uh, to the Board of Trade in London, adding his own conclusion that the crew had got all the alcohol, and he ignored that it was basically poisonous, and murdered the Briggs family and the ship's officers in a drunken frenzy. They had cut the bows to simulate a collision, then fled in the yawl to suffer an unknown fate. Uh, the finding he also thought that Morehouse and his men were hiding something specifically that the Mary Celeste had been abandoned in a more easterly location and that the log had been doctored. He would not accept that the Lord Mary Celeste had traveled so far while unmanned. Um, so he, he puts this report in and they're just kind of like, yeah, that's a little far fetched. They did, you know, they, they don't, they don't buy into this. James Winchester ends up going out to Gibraltar to try to grab his boat because he's tired of you know them holding his boat uh, on January 15, and he he's trying to figure out when they're going to release his cargo. He's got this stuff that he's got to go and make money on, but he had to make sure that they they had to. I guess he had to make sure he was paying his part of the salvage, um, and then as so he became aware that this guy. Uh, he it was like uh, the guy who did the the original investigation started to look at Winchester like maybe this guy was behind it maybe there were, he was doing this thing so that he could didn't have to pay any of the crew you know what I mean he'd have them all killed have this this ship brought back and then sell the sell the uh, the load and and make all that money and not have to pay the entire crew that that went out there uh, on January 29th during a series of sharp exchanges. Uh, the investigator and Winchester testified to Briggs's high character and insisted that he did not abandon the ship except in extremity. Um, the theories of mutiny and murder received significant setbacks when scientific analysis of the stains found on the sword and elsewhere on the ship showed that they were not blood. A second blow to the investigation followed in a report commissioned by Her Horatio Sprague. He was an American consul in Gibraltar. 
Um, and it said that the marks on the bow were not man-made, but came from the natural actions of the sea on the ship's timbers. So basically what's happening here is the investigation that went down. They said it looks like it's foul play. These guys went crazy. They killed everybody. They took off. Uh, second, second and third investigation said, nah, that's not true. That's not it at all. Uh, but nothing, nothing was ever, ever said. They, they, they couldn't figure out what it could have been. Um, there was a lot of different theories. One of the theories was that there was some congestion with a specific pump. Uh, this is as, as recent as 2007. There was a Smith, Smithsonian Channel had a TV show called The True Story of the Mary Celeste. And um, the theory is, is that uh, a possible pump congestion and instrumental malfunction. Uh, because it had been used for transporting coal, which is known for its dust, uh, before it was loaded with the alcohol, it says that whatever the pump was, I guess whenever they went, uh, went out to the ship, they found pump that was disassembled. And they're thinking a lot of this dust had co- done a, uh, had congested this pump and didn't made it impossible to, I'm not sure how these ships work, but, you know, clear out whatever water was happening at that time. And uh, that they were, you know, they were in fear that this was going to cause the the poisonous you know this this gaseous uh, alcohol to explode, so they ended up leaving, and whatever happened out on the ocean happened on the ocean. Um, again, there was the theories that there was murder at play here, whether it be um, you know mutiny on the shores or whether it was uh, pirates, because at this time pirates were still a big deal. Yeah, the, the, one of the things that I always heard about was the whole uh, uh, the theory was that whoever found the ship like there was like some some marine time law where if you found a ship at sea and nobody was there you can kind of turn it in yourself right and get money for it and it was worth a lot of money like it's a ton of money to do that uh so that so whoever found so the person who found the ship was a suspect in the disappearances of the all the crew yep that type of deal yeah, they, uh, they thought pirates, because at the time, pirates were super active off the coast of Morocco during this time, uh, and they would see pirates that would loot ships and, and take people, kill them, throw them overboard. Uh, so that was, a, that was a thought as well. There's also thoughts that it could be natural phenomena, like water spouts. Water spouts have been known to just drop straight out of the sky in the middle of the ocean during storms. Uh, and so they're thinking maybe some of the water that they saw in the hold that had built up was because something had dropped down on the ship. Um, again, I was saying there was this, there was a thought that maybe the, uh, the noxious fumes, uh, from this, the alcohol, uh, alarmed the captain and they, they were afraid of an explosion. So they all ended up leaving and you never knew what happened after that. And then of course there's the paranormal. We've heard the X-Files style. Uh, maybe it was, uh, aliens type of a deal. Maybe they came across something out there that, uh, you know, nobody knows. What do you guys think? I feel like if it was pirates, there would have been more more blood you know yeah I you mean, would think you would think unless they got a, i mean they did they, they met they weren't met with any kind of resistance maybe the guy his wife was out there with the baby when they jumped on on the ship and it was kind of like the everybody just go along so that you know they don't hurt the baby and the uh, and the wife that's possible too i mean i don't know i feel like this is one of those ones where we can come up with an explanation but it's not going to explain like everything yeah you know, like, uh, um, why is you know it, it, why is the lifeboat gone? If there's if there's uh, quote unquote nothing wrong with the ship, then why is the lifeboat gone? If something's wrong with the ship, 
what's wrong with it? Is it a mechanical failure? Is it, uh, you know, do we have a leak and we can't pump it out? Um, if it's the alcohol thing, I don't know. You, you, you kind of feel like those guys would have been like, Hey, do you smell something, bro? Yeah. And that's what they're saying. You know what that, I mean? That, like that, that could have been like the case. That would have been the easiest one for somebody to say, Oh yeah, that's what happened. Cause mm-hmm. when we got on there, it stunk, bro. And it also makes sense that cause most of the crew that he hired was off of somebody else's recommendation. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so he didn't really know that crew. Uh, it was under probably. Winchester. It was actually under Winchester's. That's why Winchester came under scrutiny because he showed up looking for his 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 cargo, saying, "Hey, I yeah. want my stuff now. I need to go make my money." Uh, also, most of my you know, most of the crew were people I said should be part of the crew. So people thought maybe there was a conspiracy that these guys were waiting somewhere for him to get the the you know the the load and 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 split the money, or that he had had them killed so that he didn't have to you know pay the crew. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of. I mean, they they could have just made whoever wasn't in on their plan walk the plank, quote unquote, and thrown them overboard, and then just took the the uh, lifeboat and got out of there. Yeah, and and left the boat there on purpose for it to be found. Exactly. Uh, I mean, there's so many there's so many things that could have happened. That's why this is such a mystery. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. I mean, possibilities for this because we just don't know anything so what do you how do you think the story of the mary celeste ends do you think she goes on to to become this like heroic ship that goes down in in history as you know maybe saving lives off the coast somewhere or or seeing battle and and just going down in glory no it's got to be more cursed stuff right uh yeah yeah. so she leaves genoa mary celeste leaves genoa uh june 26 1873 arrives in new york on september 19th the gibraltar hearings with new newspaper stories of bloodshed and murder made her an unpopular ship uh yeah it said that she had rotted wharves and nobody wanted her in february of 1874 the consortium sold the ship at a considerable loss to a partnership of new york businessmen and during this time it just gets thrown around she goes from one to another to another uh, she does come in contact with another captain who again falls ill and ends up i believe dies he dies prematurely um the again it got sold around a few more times until it comes into the uh the hands of Gilman C Parker in 1884 during this years the ship's port of registration chain changes several times before reverting to Boston there are no records of her voyages although Brian Hicks in his study of the affair asserts that Gove tried hard to make a success of her they tried to really go out and, and do stuff and make money with her but nobody wanted to use her so in November 1884 Parker conspires with a group of Boston shippers who fill Mary Celeste with largely worthless cargo misrepresented on the ship's manifest as valuable goods and insured for $30,000, which today's money is $840,000. On December 16th, Parker set out for Port-au-Prince, the capital and chief port of Haiti. On January 3rd, 1885, Mary Celeste approached the port via the channel between the Genovese Island and mainland in which lay a large and well-charted coral reef. Parker deliberately ran the ship onto this reef, ripping out her bottoming, wrecking her beyond repair. He and the crew then rowed themselves ashore where they sold the salvageable cargo for $500 to the American consul and instituted insurance claim for the alleged value. Uh, basically, they you know they got figured out too. They got busted for insurance fraud, but this, this was the end of the Mary Celeste. She was basically run aground, destroyed, 
so that they could ca- uh, cash in on an insurance fraud plan. What a weird history for that ship. <laughs> but maybe for the best. Yeah. It, it, I would is, say so. it didn't sound like, I mean, when you hear about what happened when, when she was the Amazon before she's the, the Mary Celeste, you think to yourself, yeah, let's just tear her apart and, and do something else with that lumber because it was almost one after another after another of these, you know, that did not look good. Things that just did not yeah. look good. Yeah, no, that thing's cursed. Yeah, you just got to burn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. If, uh, if, I don't know what else you do, but burn it. I was going to say, if anything, if there's anything that's a, a, an argument for curses being real, that's one of them, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Good Lord. I don't know as a and 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 like you said, Johnny, sa- sailors are usually superstitious, man. Like these people are super superstitious. So, what would make them continue to think, yeah, let's just keep using her. Let's let's take her across the ocean. Let's especially when that, she that, shows up yeah. with, as a ghost ship, you know what I mean? Everybody's that, missing. That possibility of money will always make people get past their common sense thoughts. True. Or any thoughts they have. Like if you're saying, "Hey, we can make such and such money off of this. Yeah. Oh, what curse. (laughs) Exactly. But there you go, man. That's the sad, sad story of the Mary Celeste and the weird uh, disappearance of, of her crew in the 18, 1860s, 1870s. You know, what's weird is to think about what would like, what weird stuff would have continued to happen if they hadn't have destroyed it. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. You know, like would it have kept going and been more, you know, mysterious deaths and strange disappearances and i mean it ends up having another captain that falls ill and dies prematurely like he dies earlier than he should have you know after taking taking hold of the ship uh i i for one not would not be wanting to be a piece of that no No, i would go nowhere near it i want nothing uh, to do with it so there you go fellas there's another episode of history creeps another disappearance another weird tale uh I've got nothing else, though. What do you guys? You guys have anything else before we head out of here? No. Nothing. We're done. Sweet. So, uh, Creepers, thanks so much for joining us once again another week. Uh, Hope you enjoyed that tale of the Mary Celeste. Uh, As always, every time we tell you about any of these stories, any of these uh, instances and histories, uh, don't just take our word for it. Look into it. Look deeper. Delve deeper. You might find something we didn't find. Uh, You might find something that might prove us wrong. Maybe we didn't dig, uh, dig deep enough. So, uh, check into these stories as well. And as always, reach out if you want to hear us cover something specific. You can find us on Facebook, History Creeps Podcast. Send us a message through there. Uh, you can send us an email at historycreepspodcast at gmail.com and, uh, or bicvpradio at gmail.com. Either of them, we can get those. Uh, other than that, I'm done talking. Johnny Townsend, Carter Johnson. This is Chris Chavez. Thank you so much for listening. Turn off the lights on the way out of the clubhouse. We'll see you later. And as always, stay creepy. You're killing me, Smalls. (laughs) 